This is a CBC Podcast. Saskatchewan teachers will be picketing on Monday and they huddled up and picketed across the province earlier this week on Tuesday. This happened around the same time Premier Scott Moe sounded off about the federal government's future emissions rules. Our next guests are powered up and ready to bring the electricity this morning. Murray Magic writes a political column for the Regina Leader Post and we're joined by Jeremy Symes who covers the legislature for the Canadian Press. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning. Good morning, Murray. I just need a cardiac thing to get my heart going in the morning at my age. <laughs> I don't want to scare you. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we'll see if we can get you going, Murray. <laughs> Jeremy, we spoke last week about the impending one-day strike by teachers, which happened, of course. What did you take away from that and from what the STF has had to say and what the Minister of Education has had to say? Right. So on Monday, we had thousands of teachers out uh, across the province striking. They are asking the government to address those issues of classroom sizes and complexity, I was driving down Albert Street across the Albert Street Bridge there by the legislature. There was hundreds of people out there. There was lots of honking, lots of noise, seemingly lots of support behind the teachers on this. At the legislature, we had STF President Samantha Beacott out. She had two big boxes of letters, 3,300 letters from parents and teachers. um, Asking the government to address those issues, she walked off to security gave those letters, made her point, and uh, wants the government to move on this. Education Minister Jeremy Cockrell scrummed with reporters right after that, and he said that these issues of sizes and complexity don't need to be in a teacher contract. He says they can negotiate, or it doesn't have to be negotiated on, but they can address these outside of that. He says school divisions are best to handle these issues They know what's happening in their local schools, so they can doll out the money necessary uh, to address that. He also talked about funding, and he said, you know, we've increased funding uh, to to teachers uh, for various issues. Now, the STF says this funding hasn't kept up with student enrollment growth. Uh, There's a lot more students in Saskatchewan than was maybe five years ago, and this number of teachers has stayed about the same. And so, yeah, like you mentioned, they're going back on strike on Monday uh, to bring up these very issues that they brought up earlier this week. And, Marie, a lot of the point of contention in this seems to be, you know, the difference between, oh, boards, they control the, the purse strings. The, the boards have said, and we've heard from teachers that said, well, the government uh, changed the rules and when they had took that power away from the boards a few years ago with the taxes. Uh, what do you make of that and what do you make of the, the reaction that we saw on, on Tuesday? Here's where the uh, teachers win the argument. The, uh, and it's a bit of a complex one, but I think most of the public gets it. Taking away the right to tax or, or set your own mill rate by local school boards means they don't have the additional funds that they need locally. So the silly notion that somehow school boards are going to magically find a way to do this. How? They don't have the money to do that and they go have to go cap in hand to the government anyway for additional funding to meet classroom complexity and composition needs. And so I think there's a legitimate argument there. If the uh, conversation, the narrative sticks there. And it did the first couple of days of the week. I think there was a lot of enthusiasm on the strike uh, on, on Tuesday, the one-day strike, and I think there will be again on Monday. Uh, the people in Regina, we did a story by Alex Lohman, uh, Lear Post, about opening up the houses, people uh, for to keep allow teachers to come in, warm up and have coffee. A a local person did that on Albert Street. A lot of support in the cities, a lot of support. But here's where I think maybe the teachers didn't do quite as well or maybe didn't even win the week. I don't know. In my humble opinion, as soon as you move the issue to wages and the cost, it not only 
deflects from the narrative of the teachers. It hurts the teachers' narrative. So Jeremy Cockrell rather successfully put out a tweet this week basically saying that teachers are really looking for 23% folks. And I think that resonates a lot with with older people, rural people, people removed from the the system. It's unfair uh, because teachers aren't going to get that. It's unfair because it was based on government figures where they padded the inflation numbers uh, using national figures where really the provincial numbers might suggest something else. And they might not get it anyway. And these might not be what the inflation numbers are. And, And and to move the conversation um, with two numbers is a bit of a distraction. That said, it's an effective distraction if you're a provincial government that's looking for rural votes, that's wanting to make this all about how they're doing a really good job in education, but the real problem is the teachers are just asking too much money and we're responsible for your money because uh, we're a very responsible government. Just look at our budgets. Well, maybe not. But anyway, this this is sort of uh, the problem that I think the teachers had this week. So where it goes from here is going to be interesting. We're going to see another strike and probably another one-day strike and then maybe more S- I still think it's leading to back to work. Uh, Jeremy, we're going to shift to power now. It was a political story this week and over the weekend as Alberta borrowed from us while we imported from Manitoba, which is not unusual. The situation in Alberta caused a reaction from the Premier. What did the Premier have to say about all this? Right. So last weekend, Alberta's power grid was, was stressed to the max. It was almost on the brink. So the operator had to issue an alert to Albertans saying, please conserve your power. If you don't, we will have to do blackouts uh, to, to save power here. And there was many reasons why the power grid was struggling in Alberta. The first reason was it was high, it was high demand. It was cold, furnaces needed to run more often, so power needed to be used. The second reason was there wasn't much wind And Alberta has a lot of wind generation. And so when the wind's not blowing, the turbines can't move to generate that power. So because there wasn't much wind, it couldn't generate into the grid. And the third issue is there was a handful of natural gas plants that were either not working at all or they just weren't operating to their full capacity. And so you combine these three issues and you're going to have those problems. So Alberta reached out to its neighbors and Saskatchewan SAS Power sent about 150 megawatts megawatts over to Alberta to deal with that. Now, Premier Scott Moe took advantage of that and said, you know, look what SAS Power is doing. We are sending power over from our natural gas and coal plants. And these are ones that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau wants to shut down. Two days later, the Alberta operator said it ended its alerts uh, because the wind started blowing again and things started to get back to normal. Um, But it really turned into this conversation about if we're moving to a greener electrical grid or we're having more wind and solar, uh, we need to talk about how we're going to manage that. Uh, The Premier has made the argument that you can't just use wind and solar. You do need these baseload power uh, generators. And it's also turned into a discussion about how provinces help each other out, how we manage our electricity. Saskatchewan sent Alberta power, but we at the same time received power from Manitoba. We received about 290 megawatts from Manitoba. So we're always working together to address these issues. Yeah, net more from Manitoba than we sent to Alberta. Murray, you wrote a column on this you published yesterday. Does the Premier have a point here? Is he politicking? What do you think? I like Jeremy's point about how as soon as the Premier started tweeting, the wind started blowing again. Because (laughs) I think that is a critical aspect to this. He has a point, and the point is the federal government has not 
perfectly thought this through, not been clear in terms of what the 2035 regulations in terms of the so-called shutdown of natural gas might be. They've based it on sort of Western Canadian averaging and you can't do that in Western Canada because guess what? Alberta, or sorry, BC and uh, Manitoba have far more hydroelectric power than Alberta does. So there is issues there in terms of what we need and how much we need natural gas that clearly do need to be sorted out. Everything else he said related to this was to score political points, and that's the problem I have. First point, or points that Jeremy raised is a critical one. Guess how often SAS power either gets power from another source, another province, another power utility, or exports power to another power utility? Every day. This is a name. You go on the SAS Bar website, it shows that. Now, there's a little bit more drama to this whole issue, as Jeremy said, because there was this warning and there was this legitimate concern because of weird things that have happened. Uh, solar is not obviously the whole issue. Wind is certainly not the whole issue because of problem. We need something to deal with base load power. But there's a more productive, reasoned way to do it. And it's all about what Jeremy said about helping your neighbor out in the winter because that's kind of what you do. That's why I wrote my column about there's nothing really strange or unusual about power outlets doing that. In fact, if there's a story here, it's probably how we need a national grid and how we need a better way to exchange power more quickly uh, in this. Instead, Scott Moe made it about politics. He talked about uh, about uh, Justin Trudeau shutting down the coal plants. Ain't Justin Trudeau. 2030 was a decision to shut down coal plants. 2030 was a decision of the Stephen Harper government, of which the, the SAS party government wholeheartedly endorsed. But now it's election year and they can make political hay on it. They're making uh, political hail on it. He's talking about reopening Boundary Dam 4, which is a coal-fired generator. It never closed. It, it operated for 70 days last summer when the Poplar River plant had flooding problems. And it's there for those emergency situations as is. And, and SAS power will tell you that. So once again, I think the Premier is trying to make political points on something he need not be trying to score political points on because this really angers and riles uh, people in an unfair way. And I'm not you know, uh, suggesting anything related to the federal government has been thoughtful in terms of their carbon pricing and or their decisions. They just aren't. But I'm also suggesting that there's huge politics being played here and it's not productive. And, and Jeremy, speaking of politics, the government, the provincial government has set out their goals of 2050 instead of 2035. What's been their rationale for that? Right. So the province is saying they can't meet this 2035 target just because to get SAS Power's grid to where it would need to be, it's just it's just not doable. They say it's going to cost about $40 billion to do that. That's a lot of money in a relatively short time frame compared to what they want to do. And they also have concerns about uh, the technology, whether it's going to be available right now to do any of that. And if they, and if they did that, they also have concerns about reliability. Um, kind of similar to what you saw in Alberta. They are worried that that could happen here in Saskatchewan if they switch over too quickly. And so they're proposing a 2050 target instead. They say that'll give them more time to transition to a net zero grid. And you have to remember the province is looking to potentially build a small modular nuclear reactor. This would come online in 2034 if they decide to go ahead. So that 2050 target lines better up with those plans. 
Now, this 2035 target from the federal government, there's a little bit more nuance here. Um, things aren't just going to shut down on 2035 on that date. Um, the federal government is allowing natural gas plants to still run 20 years beyond the date they go online, and they don't have to be have carbon capture on within those 20 years. After that, they do. But also in times when things are really cold and you need extra power, you can release more emissions um, than you take in and you might not need to use that carbon capture. So a lot more nuance here to, to this. Um, and the federal government says that they don't think there'll be reliability issues or affordability concerns. And Marie, we heard uh, last hour from Kayla DeMong from Prairie Harm mm-hmm. Reduction and from the Minister of Mental Health and uh, Addictions, Tim McLeod. I want to read an email to you. This is uh, from Dawn in Moose Jaw that says, uh, reducing resources for addiction care will result in more pressure on health and other social supports. Didn't we learn this approach doesn't work? This is, of course, referring to the needle exchange changes and also not providing clean pipes for places like Prairie Harm. What's your reaction to this? Well, sadly, I think the government always placed a certain audience and it's really easy for uh, a lot of us, a lot of my generation to sit back and say, well, you know what? makes perfect sense not to basically give junkies more opportunity to be junkies because that's the language in which they use. But smarter people than me, smarter people that actually deal with this issue on a a daily basis, I rely on them to know better. And Particularly the needle exchange program just absolutely puzzles me because if your end goal is to basically ensure the safety of those people, obviously you want to have them have clean needles needles so they're not spreading HIV or anything else that, that's dangerous to their uh, – and actually deadly to their well-being. This isn't part of the government conversation. This whole notion, you know, this one-for-one needle exchange doesn't work and hasn't worked. I get the problem. I don't like seeing needles in the park and and everything else. I don't like seeing uh, perhaps some of the things I'm seeing. But the people that know better than I tell me that this is the best way to work. So why I or the government wouldn't listen to people that actually know something, I'm, I'm, I'm baffled by. Thanks so much, Murray. Thanks, Jeremy. You're welcome. Thank you. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.